the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls so that we can answer your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart or mind, we'll do the best that we can. What we believe as Christians or why we believe it. Uh, Maybe you've got some problems with something in the Bible. We all have problems with something in the Bible, but... We'll do the best that we can to give you the answers you need. You can call us at 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free from outside the local area by calling 877-630-KSLR, 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is by using the free KSLR mobile app. All you have to do is hit one button, the call now button at the top of the page, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Because it's Monday, we got a lot going on. We have our men's and women's and youth Bible studies here tonight at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch online at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. Great time to bring family. Um, All the ages are represented, at least from junior high school on up. Um, so it's a good time to get together as a family and come and study the Bible together. Uh, child care, of course, is provided, and we would be happy to have you tonight. Lisa Jaffuel will be teaching the ladies, uh, Pastor Ken teaching the men as usual, um, Pastor Nelly, the high school-age students, and Chris Sanchez, the He's our junior high school leader. He's teaching the junior high age people. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. We did our study in Luke chapter 1 was all about Mary. And we live in a city, don't we, that has all kinds of wrong ideas about Mary. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear, and I think we had a really, really good time yesterday. People got saved. That's always the most important thing. I hope and pray that happened at your church as well. Everybody who gets saved, we're one person closer. Jesus coming for his church. Let me get right to questions. You know, one thing, let me ask you to do this. I know I can ask you to do this. Uh, The last two days of last week, we had a whole bunch of calls in the last 10 minutes of the program. And we just can't do all that many questions in the last 10 minutes. And we had to leave people dropping off the line. So maybe we can call earlier in the program today. It seems like we always get jammed up in the second half of the program, but especially at the end. So maybe today you can call earlier. We'd love to have you there. 340-9585. Last Friday, thank you for reminding me, my producer just reminded me, we had a call from Roland um, at the end of the show, and I only had a minute and a half to answer it. Uh, And his question was about 
What does it mean to be born again? And all I could do was very, very quickly touch on that. So, Roland, let me address that, and then we'll get to some other questions that we have uh, have received through the emails. Roland, to be born again, um, it means there's a new boss in town. Somebody else is in charge. You're no longer responsible for the decisions you make. Uh, Jesus is. It's it's taking your life and the, the decisions that you make and offering your body to him. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It's our reasonable service in view of everything that God's done. Well, the only way that we can do that is to be born again. It means that the life that we live before Christ is completely changed. We look the same. We sound the same. We've got the same issues that we have to deal with. But what it means, Roland, is that we've got somebody else that we can take those issues to. Instead of trying to figure out what to do on our own, we can do them in the power of God's Spirit. One of the problems that we have with combating sin is that so many of us try to do it in our own strength. You know, we try to be better. We try to do better. Well, when you're born again, Roland, what you can do is be different. And I like that. You know, and I'll take just a minute here, Roland, because I, this, this, for me, was a big, big deal. I messed up my life so bad before Christ. I got saved just before, a couple of months before my 40th birthday. And I messed up my life so badly that I used to have nightmares uh, about the things I'd done and getting caught. And uh, I, I just, there was just no hope at all. And suddenly I met Jesus one day. I was running away from Paula. I was running away from my kids, just trying to escape the consequences. And I met Jesus that day. And suddenly hope came flooding in my heart. I, I didn't have any answers. There was certainly nobody there to say, okay, let me fix all your problems for you. But I knew there was just something I knew that I wasn't alone anymore. I didn't have to carry these burdens. And Roland, that's the benefit, the blessing of being born again. I don't have to make decisions. All I have to do is take those decisions that need to be made before the Lord and let Him make them. Being born again means that you're no longer living for you, but you're living for Him. And we change. My final word on this, Roland, is that when you're born again, by definition, you have to change. It's not just something as simple as, well, I said the sinner's prayer. Well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. You have to meet him. It's sort of like an introduction. And once you meet him, once he comes into your heart, Everything changes. Now, having said that, for people in this audience who claim to be Christians, if you haven't changed since you met Jesus, if you're still living the same way, hanging around with the same people, doing the same things, before you were born again, you didn't want to go to church, you didn't want to read the Bible. If you're still like that, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to read the Bible. Honestly, I want you to examine your heart because you haven't met Jesus. And I don't mean read the Bible because you have to. Or go to church because, well, God's going to be mad if I don't. It's what you want to do. More than anything else, it's what you want to do. I love being here at church. It's where I get to see the people who are my family. It's where I get to use the gifts that God has given me. I can't imagine being anywhere else. I can't imagine doing anything else that would be more fun. Well, that didn't describe me before I was born again, but once I met Jesus, from that minute forward, I couldn't wait to be around God's people. So, Roland, that's the whole idea. It just changes who you are. Hope that helps.
Let's go to Kelly from Live Oak. Kelly, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I have a uh, question um, in reference to the teaching on Mary yesterday. Um, I've come across people who have, uh, they try to explain to me why they worship Mary, and I don't think I was being offensive to them when I I said, in my opinion, um, to me it was like celebrating Martin Luther King's mother on Martin Luther King Day, something to that (laughs) effect. So how can I um, disagree with them without being offensive and explain to them um, Mary's role? And I'll take your answer on air. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, Now, obviously, Kelly comes to our church. Um, I taught on Mary yesterday. I, I mentioned that at the top of the program. Um, Kelly, two things. One, I don't worry about being offensive to somebody. Uh, you know your heart, and God knows your heart, and that's really all that matters. When you tell people a truth they don't want to hear, um, they're going to be offended. The cross is an offense, and, and so don't worry about it. I, I think sometimes we worry way too much about how we're perceived by people. Instead, just tell the truth in love. Now, I'm not sure I would agree with your analogy about Martin Luther King's mother, uh, because we don't worship Martin Luther King, nor do we worship his mother. But the, but the reality, the sad reality, in fact, it's a tragedy. I said yesterday that, that worship of Mary is, is blasphemy. Um, it, it's not only heretical, but it, it's blasphemy. And yet, we live in a city where probably 60% or so of the people uh, who, who live here claim Catholicism as their religion, and they do worship Mary. Now, I know they prefer the term venerate, but they, as I said in the message yesterday, they light candles to her, they pray to her, uh, they set up statues and dedicate statues to her, and um, um, that's worship by any, any definition, any reasonable definition. Uh, they, they think that you can talk to Jesus' mother and get her to sort of make your case when the Bible says there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So, Kelly, I think the way you tell people is just to tell them in love that that Mary herself would be embarrassed to be worshipped. Mary herself. Now, I'll give you one more clue. In this coming Sunday's message, uh, I'm going to be teaching on Mary's Magnificat. And what I'm going to do is let Mary, from her own lips, tell us who she is, that she is a sinner, that she needed a Savior. And uh, I, I think if, if, if somebody who's Catholic is interested in what's really true, then we can open the Bible and show them in her Magnificat. So I think what we've got to do is just tell them that this is displeasing to God. And it's displeasing to God because Jesus paid the price, not Mary. Jesus paid the price that we might have full access to God. Now, it doesn't just stop with Mary. People pray to saints. Catholics do. And so, so, so do, does the Orthodox Church. Some Anglican churches do. But the reason that's wrong is because there is one mediator. And it cost God the Father everything he had to give access. When that veil was torn from the top to the bottom, Kelly... Imagine what it would be like for a Jew. The veil would separate the holy place from the holy of holies. And no Jew, save the high priest and and him only once a year on the Day of Atonement, was ever permitted to enter into the holy of holies. Nobody could look in that place. They knew they would die. And suddenly, at Jesus' death, the veil is torn from top to bottom as though it were the hands of God himself tearing it. And he did that that we might have access And can you imagine explaining to Jesus that you didn't want to talk to him, but you wanted to go through his mother or through any of the other so-called saints? By the way, we're all saints. So, Kelly, I know you, obviously. I know your heart. Don't worry about offending people. Just tell them the truth because they need to know it. And then you can follow that up with this. Have you been born again? And most Catholics would answer, well, no. 
I, I was born Catholic. I'm going to die Catholic. I'm happy being Catholic. And then you can explain to him, well, Jesus told the most religious man in Israel that he must be born again or he wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. It's very important that we present the truth in love and how they perceive it is between them and the Lord. So, Kelly, I appreciate very, very much the question. Thank you for paying attention. This week, you're going to get some more answers from Mary's Magnificat. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Ted. Uh, you just answered the question about God's response to our sin and how he's not angry at us when we sin, nor does he scold us. Well, what about in the Old Testament, God would constantly burn with anger or scold sinners, such as the Israelites or Job's friends? Uh, a couple of things, Ted. First, God wasn't constantly burning with anger. That's uh, a, a misunderstanding. Uh, God was angry at the sin of the Israelites. Uh, he was angry at their constant backsliding. Now, a couple of things. When we say that God was burning with anger, we're using an anthropomorphism. That's a mouthful for me. Um, it, it's it's a, a human word, a finite human word, uh, to discuss an infinite God. So when God turns his back on his people or when God allowed uh, Nebuchadnezzar or before that the Assyrians to judge his people, uh, yeah, he was angry. He was angry because of the consequences. At the same time, the Old Testament says on nine separate occasions, nine separate occasions that God is slow to anger. Exodus 34 and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Nine separate times in the Old Testament we have that. So what we get to do is balance his anger against sin with his compassion, his patience, being slow to anger and abounding in love. And the only way we can do that, Ted, is to understand that that's what he's saying. Now, one other comment here, Ted, and we'll go on. The Jews' relationship with God was based on the law, and we know the law condemned. When I said the other day that God doesn't scold us, God's not angry with us when we sin, we have to understand his character, his nature. He's still that that compassionate God, the slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness God. But we also need to understand that we, in the New Testament, our relationship with God is built on grace, his unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. And because our relationship is based on that, our sins have already been forgiven, even sins that we haven't committed yet are forgiven, past, present, and future. And God has set his love upon us through Jesus Christ. We're accepted already in the Beloved. So our relationship with God under grace is far different than the relationship that man had with God in the dispensation of law. So I hope that answers your question. Thanks very much. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, a couple things. One, Sunday was so fascinating, the study. It's still rolling around in my in my brain. The other thing was um, the difference between the response on the angel to Zechariah and the, and when Mary questioned him, that you know there was a difference in in um, when you know Zechariah kind of got in trouble and, and Mary kind of didn't. But then also I'm wondering if Mary's parents uh, must have been in the Old Testament. They must have known the Bible and and known known everything and known that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin. And I'm wondering, you know, if they, they kind of rejoice saying, oh, wow, it's our daughter that's, that's going to have the Savior. <laughs> and the other thing was, is it possible, was, was there any reference to John the Baptist being born? And if there wasn't any reference, then maybe that's why Zachariah was, you know, so um, so dumbfounded by it. So that's kind of it. I'll, I'll get off the phone and let you okay. answer. Thank you, Cindy. And, and uh, Sandra, you're holding. We'll get to you in just a minute. Uh, Cindy, uh, uh, Zechariah, we know, and only we only know this because of, of Gabriel's statement. Uh, Zechariah was unbelieving. 
Uh, that's the sin that we can't be forgiven of. Unbelieving. If we die not believing in Jesus Christ, we're going to spend eternity in hell. Well, Zachariah's uh, question was unlike Mary's, and we only know that because the wording is almost the same. Uh, I'm old. How how can this possibly be? It was stated in, in with cynicism uh, because circumstances circumstances would have would have made it seem just impossible. So um, I, if I was Zechariah, I would hope that I would say, well, it's pretty impossible that the angel Gabriel is sitting here talking to me as well. But he chose to believe what he could see instead of believing the word that was sent to him from God. Um, it's a good question regarding uh, Mary's parents. Um, um, we know Mary knows the word. We're going to find that out again this, this coming Sunday in her Magnificat. But at the same time, we don't know that for sure about her parents. But you're right, they should have known, and they should have felt a sense of privilege and awe. But we also have to be realistic. When the girl that you love and the girl that you have such high hopes for, she's such a good girl, that's what the Jewish mom would say, um, she, she tells you that she's pregnant. Um, it's going to be really hard to ignore those circumstances and pretend that she wasn't with somebody else. I mean, who's going to believe the story that, that a virgin's with child? Um, so, yeah, they could have known. They should have known. But truth is that they didn't know. They looked at circumstances rather than the promises of God, Cindy, and that makes them a whole lot like us. Thanks, Cindy. Great questions. Appreciate it. Let's go to Sandra calling from San Antonio. Sandra, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I Hi. this topic... This topic is going to, um, I just tuned in and then I started listening. But um, I, the question I have is on the axe retreat. I hear a lot about it. Uh, people mention it. Oh, it was wonderful. It was great. But I can't tell you about it. And I'm wondering, well, I mean, normally when you sense the presence of God or you experience being on a mountaintop, wouldn't you want to share? Is I mean, I'm not familiar with it. I've been invited to go. I haven't made a big effort or anything. I'm not all that um, uh, enthused about it. But do you know, are you familiar with that? Do you know about that? Yeah, I'm I'm only vaguely familiar with it, Sandra. Obviously, it's a Catholic um, um, retreat, and you know, I, I think when when God's people get together, um, I think there's always going to be a group dynamic that that's going to make it. I think any time when people are going seeking the Lord, God is going to reward them. Uh, it doesn't mean they have to have perfect doctrine. That's certainly not the case, but it's not something that I would advise at all for a, for a Christian. Um, uh, because there's going to be so much bad doctrine. There's going to be so much uh, error that is promoted as true. And I think what we find is people having experiences. It's more like goosebumps uh, rather than sound theology. So it's not something that I would recommend, not at all. Uh, I am a big, big, big retreat person. I think when we take the time, um, uh, sacrifice a little bit of money, uh, we get away with God's people really expecting to hear from the Lord. He's always going to bless. So, Sandra, I would uh, uh, call, uh, uh, encourage you to go to um, uh, a women's retreat. Um, we call it with our women. We tell them, Jesus, it's, it's their date weekend. Uh, and it becomes very, very personal. The difference between the Acts retreat and, and, and a retreat that, say, a church like ours would put on, there's lots of churches that put on women's retreats, is that it was um, um, based on sound doctrine. Um, the Acts retreat is usually held at a site away from the local parish. I think that's important. Um, it was named for the four topics that it covers, adoration, community, theology, and service. All of that is fine. The problem is with the theology portion of it, the T in Acts. So um, uh, find uh, an opportunity to go to a, 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 a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Christian churches, women's retreat, and I promise you, you will be blessed. You know, um, Sandra, Paula just came back, uh, her and Jocelyn did a women's conference 
uh, in Idaho Falls, Idaho, uh, this past weekend. And Paula said she saw women that were there the last time she was there 10 years ago. Uh, it was just a great time. Uh, it's just Jesus meets us in power. Uh, we have men's retreats, too, uh, at churches. Uh, our women's retreat, uh, we just came back from, our ladies just came back from uh, last month. It was in March. Um, we had uh, nearly 300 women who were there. And the, the testimonies were just marvelous. So it's a good principle. It's just that when you're going to the Acts retreat or when you're going to something associated with the Catholic Church, you, the, the thing that you're missing out on is essential. It is doctrine. You know, when Paul was getting ready to die, he wrote to his young protege, Timothy. He said to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Why would he emphasize that? Because the way you live is determined by what you believe. And it's just so easy to get caught up in bad theology. And then when you get goosebumps in the process, uh, it's easy to convince yourself that all of that was from God. And people are led astray. So, again, I can't recommend the, the Catholic retreat at all. Uh, but I am a big endorser of women's retreats and men's retreat, uh, those gender-specific times when we get alone with the Lord. Thank you, Sandra, for holding, and I hope that helps. We've got 30 minutes left in today's program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'll be back on the other side. See you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 210-340-9585 is for your live calls and questions here is a question uh, from our mobile app from matt uh, this was a response to a question I had last week. He says, in relation to the question you just answered about babies going to heaven, where in Scripture does it say that God only judges us for what we know? Now, Matt, it doesn't say it the way you asked it. Now, here's what Scripture tells us. Romans chapter 1 tells us very clearly that the knowledge of God, the truth about God, is revealed to every man's conscience. Um, God's... The reality of God, the, 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 the person of God is revealed to us uh, in creation. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's no nation or language where they're not heard or understand. Um, the, 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 the Lord is revealed to us in conscience, Romans chapter 1 says, uh, so that we can know him. And all of that is to accuse us justly of being in sin. Uh, God's invisible qualities, Revelation, or I'm sorry, Romans 1, verse 20, says, uh, for since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And then when we get into the second chapter of Romans, beginning in verse 12, uh, he, Paul says that all who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous and guide sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared, declared righteous. Now, Matt, here is the key verse. Verse 14 of Romans 2. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witnesses, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Now that's important, the defending them part. When we, in every doctrinal issue, we have to compare with the nature and the character of God. And if in fact God is just, he couldn't possibly punish people for sins they, they didn't know they commit. Romans, it says those who sinned before the law was given, that sin wasn't held uh, against them. Why? Because they didn't have any law that would pronounce them guilty. But what they did have was a conscience. What they did have was the, 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 the revelation of God through creation. 
And here's the principle. If one seeks God diligently, he will be found. And that's all we have to do is turn our eyes. Now, with this question about babies, and I don't know, Matt, whether you're asking from a Reformed background and a Reformed position would be, well, you know, God only knows the babies who would have chosen him had they given, been given the chance. It's clear we're all born into sin. John chapter 3 says when we're born, we're condemned already. Jesus is speaking. But we have to actually be guilty of something. We have to be accountable of that. Now, where do we know that? We know that from a God who is fair and just. You know, we can't say, well, God is holy and God is just, so you can't accuse him if, if, uh, if a baby dies and doesn't know Jesus, then if God takes him to hell, that's fair and just. It's not. It's not. Each man will be judged for his own sin. The Old Testament repeatedly, we're told that God hates the saying that when a man sins um, or a man could be judged for his father's sins, you know, this whole idea of, of general generational curses. He says, don't say that. It sets my teeth on edge, God said. A man will be judged for his own sin. And so we've got this whole sense of God's fairness, God's justice, and those who die having sinned but not accountable for it. I could say the same thing is true for those who are in some fashion mentally impaired. Uh, the, the age of accountability is different for everybody. Does God know who's going to sin, who's not? Of course he does. But at the same time, he couldn't be just and punish us for things that we had no ability to say no to, things that we haven't yet done. So, man, I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app again. This This one is from Nate. Uh, he says, I'm a new believer, but really don't know what church to go to. How do I find the right church for me? Nate, well, first of all, let me say welcome to the family of God. God bless you. Uh, the decision to accept Jesus Christ, infinitely so, the best decision you will ever make. It will change your life. And so God bless you, man. We're, we're, we're proud to have you uh, in our family. Now, relative to what church to go to, Rather than picking a denomination, what I'm going to say is this. Go find a church where the Bible is taught. I don't mean the Bible's preached or Bible verses are mentioned. Don't go to a church that will entertain you where the pastor tells you funny stories. Go to a church where the Bible is taught. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, all the way through the Bible, uh, the whole counsel of God, when Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders and that emotional farewell in Acts chapter 20, he said to them, I know that savage wolves are going to come in among you from your own number, and they're going to pervert the ways of truth. They're going to they're, they're going to try to devour you. He said, but I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, I've told you the truth, so if you fall, it's on you, it's not on me. Every pastor needs to have that fear of God. So go to a church that teaches the Bible. Pray as you go, Lord, show me if this is the church body you want me to be a part of. Don't count on goosebumps. Don't count on, oh, it's okay, or i got friends that go here. Uh, church is a great place to have friends, but church can't be the, oh, I'm sorry, but friends can't be the reason you go to a church or pick a church. So find a church that teaches the Bible. It's not that difficult. It doesn't matter whether you find it in the Baptist church or at a Calvary Chapel or someplace else. Nate, we've got, um, I think, six Calvary Chapels spread all throughout the city of San Antonio. So there's going to be one reasonably close to you. Uh, and all of those men, I know them and love them and trust them. They're great Bible teachers. Some churches are small, and, and, and uh, our church is, is the larger one here in San Antonio. Um, but, but size has nothing to do with it. Find a church where you're comfortable. Find a church where people are friendly, um, uh, welcoming, where you can sense the love in the place. And then find a church where you can use your gifts and serve. 
And the Holy Spirit will bear witness. When you found the right one, the Holy Spirit will bear witness. I can tell you some churches that I would avoid uh, if I were you, especially as a new believer, I would avoid liturgical churches, uh, Lutheran churches, or Anglican churches, or Episcopal churches. Um, um, doctrine is is problematic in those places. But uh, find a church that you can find. Look at several. Don't shop for churches, but just wait for the witness of the Holy Spirit, because when you walk in, uh, and when you hear the Bible being taught, the Spirit will witness to your spirit that this is the place God has for you. And then when you find that church, really dig in and get involved. You need to be fed. A new believer needs to be fed. You need to grow. And the only way to do it is church. Nate, God bless you. Uh, I will be praying for you. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, Sort of a related question that came in from our mobile app as well, anonymously is this one. How can God allow so many denominations in his church? Don't blame God for the divisions in the church. The denominations, the differences, and some of them are necessary. You know, you can go to churches where there's crazy uh, expressions of the use of the gifts and 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 just weird stuff happens. Uh, and then you can go to a denomination that's sort of the 180 degree opposite of of that. Um, so the denominations uh, are not good or bad. They just are. So um, people gather with people they're comfortable with. So it's not a matter of why did God allow it? Why did man do it? Why is it so hard? You know, Anonymous, I, I've, uh, I've, I've wrestled with this question for so many years. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same Word of God. It's perfect. The problem is we're not. So we have imperfect interpretation of God's perfect Word. And the problem is we have flesh. There are things that we like and things that we don't like, so we kind of gather around those people. We we, we like churches in our neighborhoods. Uh, I know people that won't go to a church they can't walk to. And, and a lot of those are old denominational churches. It doesn't mean one is wrong or one is right. What's necessary is for all the denominations, and this is where the problem lies, but what's necessary is for the denominations to agree in the essential elements of our faith. And sadly, Anonymous, uh, that's what's happening in our church culture. We've got entire denominations uh, of, of professing Christians who have abandoned the Word of God, Others who elevate tradition over the Word of God. Um, don't blame God. Just you go find a church where you can be a part of. You go find a church where the Bible's being taught and let the Word of God and the Spirit of God change you relative to what you read and what you learn about Jesus in the Word. So it's not a matter of... It, there's, there's liberty in these things that are not essentials to our faith. You know, Anonymous, one of the things I said in my Bible study yesterday, um, as, as Mary's uh, story began to un- unravel, is that that the, the Christian uh, um, faith, one of, one of the essentials of our faith, is the virgin birth, the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus. Now, a lot of people say, well, why do I have to believe that? Because I have a hard time believing that a, a virgin could have a baby. Well, you have to believe it because it affects everything else that we believe. If Jesus was born and his father was a human, he would have inherited the same sin nature that I have. And thus, he wouldn't be able to save us. He wouldn't have been without sin. And so that is an essential that you've got to hold on to. And again, sadly... There are denominations that just sort of trash that idea. They, they call themselves progressive or, or modern or critics. Truth is, they're apostate. So just find a church that works for you. Make sure it's a Bible-believing and a Bible-teaching church. Again, I want to emphasize, as I did with the other question um, about it from Nate, a new believer, um, not preaching the Bible, or telling stories using Bible verses. But find a church that teaches the Bible and grow and serve. 
We humans have done a lot of things that God allowed us to do that we'd been better off if he didn't allow us to do it. But you see, we have free will. We have the right to make choices. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Patrick. He said, uh, Pastor Ron, if the Bible says everyone will die, what about those who did not die? And what about the rapture? Patrick, the Bible doesn't say everyone will die. The Bible says, Hebrews 9, 27, that it is appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. Now, everybody knows there's two men who didn't die. Enoch didn't die, and Elijah didn't die. But there's also some men that we have examples of in the Bible who died more than once. Lazarus died more than once. The Apostle Paul died more than once. And they were brought back to life for a time. So the, the Hebrews passage is, is a general rule of thumb. I mean, we can safely say that the, the ratio of birth to death is one to one. And when you've got just a couple of examples of people who didn't die, that doesn't negate the general principle. That's what Hebrews is trying to communicate. So uh, what about those who didn't die? It doesn't disprove uh, Hebrews 9.27. Now, what about the rapture? I like that reference, Patrick, because what that shows us is that there's going to be a whole generation of Christians who never die. I hope and pray, I think I'm in that generation. I think the rapture is going to happen soon. And uh, if that's the case, we who are still alive will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. So the rapture is an exception, uh, but it's an exception that we're taught about in the Scripture. Not everybody's going to die. Uh, There are some who are going to be taken to be with the Lord while they're still alive. Again, I think, Patrick... That's this generation of people. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'll be with Jesus anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So it doesn't disprove uh, the Hebrews 9.27. Neither of those instances disprove the Hebrews 9.27 general rule of thumb. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Salvador. Salvador, I would kiss you on the lips if you were here right now. I want to know, what is your opinion of using cell phones for Bibles in church? Salvador, (laughs) uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. I like Bible that's a book. I realize people use them. Here's my problem. I know that if they're looking at a Bible... Scripture. If I say, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, as I did yesterday, I know even if they're doing that, that if a text message comes across, they're going to get a, 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 a notification of that text message that's waiting, and I know they're probably going to look at the text message. So uh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Uh, I'm not a Neanderthal. I realize this is the way of the future at the same time. Um, we've got to be good stewards over the tools that God has given us. So I would prefer that people didn't, cell phones go off. We have to take extra time in our announcements, tell people to put your cell phones on silent. Um, um, again, Salvador, I realize I'm not going to change the culture that we live in. I just wish people would be more focused on what God is saying to them than what somebody's saying on their phone. I, I've threatened to put a on our screen Um, when people walk in, um, I'm sure God wants to talk to you today, but I'm equally sure he's not going to call you on your cell phone. Um, But again, this is the world that we live in, so I hope that helps. Let's go to San Antonio now for Clara on line one. Clara, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi there. Um, So I had a question for you, um, because this is really the first time that I've been listening to a radio station. I have recommitted my life to Christ. Just uh, recently, a couple months ago, and I'm really, really happy about how I feel and just this peace that God has has provided in my life. And so, essentially, I've been visiting a couple of Christian churches, and um, I I used to go to a Catholic church all my life. And so, um, I came across the International Church of Christ, 
because one of my friends in San Diego converted from the Muslim religion, from Islam, to Christianity. And so she told me about this church, and so I went there. And so um, before going there, I had already done my research. I have really been in scripture, both my husband and I. And so I understand that really it is through faith alone and through God's grace that mm -hmm. we are saved. And um, really repenting of our, of our sins and turning to Christ and turning to Him because He took the wrath. He took really that cup of wrath for us. And so, um, you know, I really do feel moved to, to get baptized soon because I've been reading in Scripture and uh, especially in Acts, you know, that, you know, that um, the apostles, the disciples were, were baptizing people. But anyway, so when I visited this International Church of Christ, I actually visited one off of 410 by North Star Mall. Um, mm -hmm. They really emphasize that, that, that the act of baptism takes away your sins. And so my friend, when she did a Bible study with me, she said, honestly, if you don't get baptized, I mean, you don't get the Holy Spirit. And so she just kept signaling out one, um, essentially one Bible verse and asked, and so I kind of went, you know, through the Bible, and I was underlining all the verses that talk about um, baptism. And I just didn't necessarily feel like the act of, baptize, of getting baptized will take away your sins. I truly do believe that, you know, God, Jesus, does calls us to get baptized. But that's something that, that really is an outward sign, you know, that, that you are essentially telling the world, hey, you know, I am, you know, I'm, I'm going to be Jesus' disciple, and I'm here to, to lead people to, and get them closer to Christ. And so I just had a question um, for, uh, about that for you. Clara, thank you. Can I, can I ask you a question very quickly? Are you, is your friend who goes to the International Church of Christ, are they college age? Has she what? Is she, so is she, she college, um, college aged? So she, no, so she graduated from college um, okay. a couple years ago. We, we both went to Baylor, and she was okay. Muslim at that time, and so she just converted to Christianity this past year. Yeah, yeah I, I asked the question, and I'll be able to answer your question now. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I asked the question because the International Church of Christ is very active around college campuses, and, and uh, it's a church that you ought to avoid. It is a church that borders on cultic activity. Now, I want to I, I, I separate the, the Church of Christ churches that, that you see typically that are, I think, wrong because they believe in baptismal regeneration, but they're not cultic as the International Church of Christ is. So uh, I, I, it's amazing to me somebody who's just rededicated their life to the Lord um, this is what it means to be born again you've got a, a hunger for the word you're, you're checking things out uh, I can just see the smile of Jesus Clara uh, over you now and, and he is so pleased you're absolutely right baptism is a response to being saved we're saved the minute we ask Jesus Christ into our heart uh, the Holy Spirit comes in us at that time. In your case, as a rededicator, the Holy Spirit comes upon you at that time, and, and you're as saved as you're ever going to be. Baptism is our public proclamation. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But the Acts 2.38 passage that she would be talking about, uh, you have to understand from a very Jewish perspective, doesn't say repent and be baptized to get saved. The idea is repent, ask Jesus into your heart, and then get baptized because you are saved. So we are saved by grace through faith. That's Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved by grace through faith, and the moment you believe, you give your heart to Jesus Christ, and you're saved. When we get baptized, we're simply announcing to the world that the old you dies. That's what it means when you go under, and a new you, a resurrected life, is born again in the power of God. So avoid the International Church of Christ. Um, find a church. Keep reading your Bible. Um, Jesus is really, really pleased. Clara, thank you very, very much. We've got three minutes. Let's go to Converse and take a Jesse, uh, Jesse, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Uh, how you doing, Pastor? Doing well, thank you, Jess. Quick, quick question, Pastor. Me and my uh, wife want to start reading uh, our Bibles together. I'm uh, just wondering, would you have any suggestion of where we would start doing that, and then I guess how to go about doing that? Uh, uh, you know, maybe reading chapters at a time, or read and ask questions. Just, just thought I'd get your thoughts, sir. 
I can do that, Jesse. Thank you very, very much. And everybody who comes to Calvary Chapel is mouthing the words with me. Start with the book of Ephesians. (laughs) Um, uh, I talk about this so much when I do marriage counseling or or pre-marriage counseling. Um, The book of Ephesians has a perfect design, Jesse. Um, um, The the first, I I call it divine design. Uh, The first three chapters are everything that God's done for us. And you have to bathe in in the luxury of what God has done for us. And then the the next three chapters, the final three chapters, are, are what should our response then be to everything that God has done for us. So I think that's the place you ought to start. And God bless you for reading the word with your with your wife. So here's how I suggest you do it. Um, you read a chapter out loud, uh, just Ephesians as an example. Uh, it'll take you uh, f- less than four minutes to read Ephesians chapter one. Read it to her out loud. Then you give her the Bible, let her read it to you out loud, and then talk about, no rush, but talk about what it is you read and ask each other questions and, and, and probe a little bit. What do you think that means? And uh, when you read in chapter one, I could, I could find a hundred questions in Ephesians chapter one. And, and what God will do through his word, Jesse, is he will knit in such a supernatural way your heart and your wife's heart together that the power of God will be evident. So you read to her, let her read to you, and then talk about it. Now, this doesn't eliminate the need for you and her both to read individually as well, but when you're reading as a husband and wife, read the same place, ask questions, go as slow as you want to go, but some of the greatest conversations you'll ever have will result as the Holy Spirit leads and guides those conversations. After Ephesians, it really doesn't matter. I would go then to the Gospel of John next. If you're new in the Lord, go to the Gospel of John and do the same thing. Only I would say to read smaller sections because the whole chapter could take a lot. It might be too much at one sitting. Jesse, God bless you for doing this. I am thrilled for you and your wife. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for the calls. You called in early and you called in late. That's the way it's supposed to be. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.